Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome, friends, to another r slash nuclear revenge video. While these stories might be toxic, one of the least toxic things you could do would be to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our first story of the day is by Pay Me or I Destroy You. Pay me $250 or I'll destroy your whole career. First off, some definitions before we start. Since this is a story involving the military and some jargon not everyone would understand. CQ, it's a duty in the army you have to do where you gotta stay up for 24 hours. It sucks, but everyone does it. JAG is the legal office on base, lawyers for the military, private is a rank, specialist is one rank higher than a private, NCO is non-commissioned officer, basically my first line supervisor. Please note this story occurred after don't ask don't tell was repealed, so that wasn't the issue. When I was in the army, I became friends with a guy by the name of Scott. He was very flamboyant and loud and loved to talk, he was also my roommate. We became very good friends. I worked 25B, computers, and he worked as a paralegal at the JAG office on base. As a result of his position, he knew confidential legal matters of service members. Some of the stuff he knew was quite serious. We're talking assault, theft, forgery, divorce, etc. Naturally, he's supposed to keep this information confidential about what he knows, but he didn't. He would tell me all kinds of stories about different people and their respective legal issues. On several occasions, I would tell him, you shouldn't be telling me stuff like this. It's supposed to be confidential, right? I wasn't sure of the rules, but I'm sure that he knew he shouldn't be telling me. Nevertheless, he did tell me a lot of stories about a lot of different people. Whatever, he was my friend. He was also great to have around as he helped pick up women. He was like my gay wingman. It was good for a while. Well, one day I had a date, and I asked Scott to cover for my CQ. I told him I'd pay him $100 if he did my CQ, and he said sure. So he did my CQ, I paid him. This started a deal between us. Whenever we had CQ, if we didn't want to do it, we'd pay each other to do it. It's actually pretty common practice in the army. We did this back and forth several times. Each time we would negotiate a price, and it became pretty common to just pay each other back on payday. Heck. I remember one time I covered for him and said I'd pay him $100, and he agreed and did. In that same period, he asked me to cover for him, and he'd pay me $100, and we'd call it even. Well, a few days before a four-day week, Scott came up to me and said he wanted me to cover him for a CQ on that Friday. I had plans and didn't really want to CQ that Friday, but he told me that he had a date and really wanted to go on his date. I told him it cost him extra. We ended up agreeing to $250 for me to cover for him. So I cover for him and the payday comes around. I ask God for my money and he says you'll pay me. I'm going to cut this story short. Three paydays go by and he still hasn't paid me. I confront him on a payday and say, look, you owe me $250. Pay me half now and half on the next payday. And he has the balls to ask me to just forgive him for the debt he owes me. Keep in mind, I'm a PFC at the time. I was making like $1,600 a month. 
$250 is a good chunk of money to me. I tell him in no uncertain terms will I be forgiving this debt. He owes me $250 and I want my $250. Another payday comes around. I confront him again. He laughs and says, dude, I'm not going to pay you. Now keep in mind, this was at breakfast and I'm pissed. I get to my office and come up with an idea. I talk to my NCO and tell him I need to go speak to Jag. My non-commissioned officer tells me to call Jag to get an appointment and go. So I call up Jag and ask to speak to the major there who knew me. I told them I had some information regarding one of his paralegals that he should be aware of, and I'd like to come speak to him. He agrees and tells me a time. I head over there that afternoon, walk into legal, and there is Scott. He greets me. I smirk and don't say anything. A minute or so later, the major comes out and calls me into his office. I look over at Scott, who had just been promoted to specialist, and smile. I think Scott knew what I was there for. I sit down with the major and I tell him that specialist Scott has been telling me stories about the various legal issues of different service members and I felt that it was inappropriate for him to be sharing that and that Jack should know about it. The major's a bit shocked. He asks me to tell him a story to prove that I'm not blowing smoke up his butt. So I proceed to tell him about a story involving a service member who's been charged with both sexual assault and shoplifting. I even go so far as to explain what course of action they intend on taking with this service member. You can see and feel the rage building inside of this major. I obviously knew stuff that I had no right knowing, and it's because one of his paralegals that he's responsible for is blabbing to me. Of course, this all remained professional. He then asked me to list off any other cases I'm aware of. I told him specialist Scott has told me a lot of stories involving a lot of people, but I listed off the ones I knew. I even made sure to mention there's a really good chance I'm not even remembering them all. This did not sit well with the major at all. The major thanked me for my time, we shared contact information, and he walked me out of his office. I was smiling ear to ear because I knew exactly what was about to happen. As I'm walking out of the major's office, Specialist Scott sees me and the fear of death is on his face. And the major thanks me for my time and off I go. As I'm walking out, I hear the major say, Specialist Scott, please come to my office. I didn't see or speak to Scott after this meeting, but about two weeks later I saw him on base. He didn't have his specialist rank on anymore. In fact, he was a fuzzy E1, lowest rank possible. I then saw him again about six weeks later and he seemed even more down sporting that lovely fuzzy rink and I decided to ask him, hey man, what's up? He looks at me and says, they're kicking me out of the army. I didn't need to ask why, I left it at that. If you found yourself in the situation and they said, dude, I'm not going to pay you, would you rather threaten to report them and hope that convinces them to actually pay you, maybe at the risk of allowing them to try and do some kind of damage control? Or is it satisfying enough to never get the 250 but report them and ruin their entire career with the army? Let me know what you think down in the comments below. This next story is by Vemium. Steal off a psychotic Irish gypsy? You'll never be safe again. My town in England is rough, very rough. There's a man that passes through every now and again who is, to put it bluntly, a psychopath. His name's Fergal and he's a gypsy, moves around a lot and disappears into gypsy communities. And if you even look at him wrong, he might stab you. Seriously, he's killed people. He has a lot of friends in town, drug dealers, felons, selling guns. 
I used to work in a shop that was owned by a drug dealer and Fergal always came in when he was in town for a cup of tea. He always liked me and called me Butterfly for some weird reason. My boss came in the shop one day and said that a well-known scruff, he'd sell his own mother and rob the dead, who we'll call Tez, had stolen Fergal's chain that had his beloved deceased grandmother's ring on it. Fergal was fuming. Fergal was trying to come back to town at his earliest convenience. But before he could, Tez was arrested for trying to rob the corner shop with a rolling pin. Fergal wasn't having that. He told everyone that he was going to kill him because there's no way to get the ring back. Fergal did what any sane person would do. He seriously assaulted someone to get arrested. He made sure it was on camera and stayed until the police got there. He was arrested and put in the same prison as Tez. Fergal managed to stab Tez in the legs, but told him that he wasn't finished, that he'd beat him so badly that he'll think he's going to kill him, but he won't. He will sometime, definitely, but he'll never know when. This was three years ago and now both are out. Tez has been beaten twice and he's moved town. Fergal knows where he lives and makes sure that Tez knows. Tez's brother said that he's terrified of Fergal and that he's scared of going out. Tez is a horrible person. He stole his mother's bank card and put her in debt with drugs, hurt his pregnant girlfriend, and left a one-year-old in the bath alone. Needless to say, on both sides, not necessarily the most charming of characters, nor probably the most redeemable. This is very much a situation that I feel like I would just stand a hundred feet back away from and probably keep moving further away. Our next story is by Frumpy Fungus. You shouldn't mess with an ant farmer. Some backstory, when I was about 11 or 12, I started getting hobbies which included rock collecting and ant farming. I also started babysitting my brother at the time. So it was a normal Saturday that consisted of me babysitting my little brother, taking care of my aunts. I was letting my brother play on my PS3 until the doorbell rang. I opened it and I saw these annoying little kids that always asked if I could play, but every time I would say no. Normally they would just leave, but this time they just sat there and kept on ringing the doorbell. It went on for 10 minutes until it stopped. I thought it was over until they heard them start giggling. Then they started throwing rocks at my house and they even cracked one of the windows. I opened the door and they just knew it wasn't going to be good. Also at the time, I was probably about 5 foot 9 so I was kinda scary. I walked outside and told them to go home or I'll call the police. Fast forward about two weeks and it happened three more times. At this point, I was done playing around. I knew they were going to do it again, so at the side of my house where they were getting the rocks, I had accidentally spilled my fire ant geranium with probably about 1,500 to 2,000 fire ants on the rocks. So the next day comes around and the little brats were ringing my doorbell and I could almost taste it. Sweet, sweet revenge. After the ringing stopped, I heard the thuds of rocks hitting my house. All of a sudden it stopped and I could hear them start to cry. I looked out the window and the little boy was sitting right on the rocks. They all ran home. Oh, but it's not over. Their mom came out of the house and over to mine. I put on the saddest face and told the mom, they broke my ant farm. After that, the mom gave me $10 and I never saw them again. I'm almost starting to feel bad, but they shouldn't have messed with my rocks. A few weeks later, they started doing things like taking toys from my backyard, ringing our doorbell and stealing our rocks. 
I told their parents, but they just kept on doing it even after the fire ants, and this time, I was so mad I didn't hold back. I took one of my book bags and filled it with Legos, balls, dolls, etc., but that wasn't it. I had one of my subterranean termite farms and emptied it into the bag. I gently put my bag in the grass and waited. I went to feed my brother lunch, and when I came back, it was gone. Fast forward a couple of months, and their house was on quarantine for the bug infestation. Karma is a witch. I also wasted almost $500 worth of bugs. Those fire ants sure did not know freedom until they were able to bite the crap out of those kids' hands. It was an expensive revenge, but I bet it was pretty darn effective. And our final story of the day is by Joker6 Actual, Pan Am Hospitality at its Best. I must let you know that this story was handed down from my grandfather a few months before he died in 2006. In the 1960s, my grandfather was working for Pan Am and was sent to the Dominican Republic. The local community of Pan Am employees had what equated to corporate housing in a community near the airport. My grandfather would fly between the Dominican Republic and New York City on a regular, and on this particular day, he was supposed to get back at 1 in the morning. Over the prior three to four weeks, there had been some break-ins in the Pan Am community housing, where the housewives were getting assaulted and any valuables stolen from their homes. My grandmother, being as bad to the bone as she was and having three young children in the house, refused to be a victim. She saw a pattern in the break-ins and determined that her house would be next. But if you heard my grandfather tell the story, she had a gut feeling that night. My grandmother put my father and my uncles to sleep earlier than usual that night and then proceeded to pull out the shotgun and wait. According to my grandfather, she waited with the lights off in the house, sitting on a stool with about five to six feet in front from the door, holding a double-barrel shotgun. She heard someone messing with the front door locks, so she promptly got ready because if it had been my grandfather, she would have heard keys. The would-be assaulter knocked down the door to see a little lady pointing a double-barrel shotgun right at him. Now, I would like to say that before this next part, that I never knew my grandmother was this bad to the bone until I heard this story. But she's always a tough cookie. As soon as the guy raised his hands, she pulled both triggers and two shells of shotgun pellets destroyed this human being. My grandmother then proceeded to put a call into the airport to inform my grandfather as soon as he got in to hurry home, that there was a family emergency. This being a foreign country, and my grandmother not knowing how the local police would react. My grandfather got home as soon as he landed and got the news to see the body laying by the front door, and my grandmother in the throes of cleaning up the blood. My grandfather, without a word, just went a couple houses down to a few people who he trusted and enlisted their help. They promptly tied the body by a rope to the back of their pickup and started driving. They said they spent hours dragging this body through the mountain roads until there wasn't any body left, grinding it away by using the road. By the time they got home at 7 in the morning, my grandmother had cleaned the blood and fixed the front door. They never told the local government and went on with their lives. Now, I'm not sure about the story being true. However, it was one of the last stories my grandfather told me before he died. My father once told me that he remembered hearing the commotion, but never investigated, because he didn't want to get in trouble for being out of bed. He was five or six years old at the time. I wish there was a way to confirm this story, 
However, all parties involved are no longer alive. Whether it's true or not, that's a crazy piece of family history. I'm gonna be honest, I'm no expert at disposing of bodies, but I've never heard of such a strategy like dragging them around by a rope until they just kind of grind away against the ground. It's definitely hard to believe, but it could have happened, you never know. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.